This is uh, basically the same outline, but I've done some more revising since the last time. The message this morning was intriguing to me. I read the Old Testament, I read the New Testament, and God is at work in human history just all, all the way through. If you ever want to learn a little something, find something interesting and something profitable. Instead of getting the latest thriller on Netflix, uh, go to YouTube and look up Nebuchadnezzar. And look up the worship of Baal. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, The God of the Bible is absolutely and utterly unique in every way. There is no God like him. There's been no God conceived like him. The gods of that, that man worships are the product of the imagination of the wicked hearts of man. And it's absolutely amazing. We had the abortion walk for life yesterday. One of the, one of the major aspects of Baalism was the fact that they sacrificed their babies and their children up to three years of age uh, to Baal. And uh, the image of Baal was there. He had a big belly, and at the bottom of the belly was, was fire. And his arms were outstretched, and they would place their baby in the arms of Baal, and they would fall into the fire, and, and the life would, of the baby would be destroyed in the fire. This was to appease their God. And the abortionists have a God. It's human sexual pleasure that is supposed to be unlimited and uncontained and uncontrolled. We're living in a wicked age. We sacrifice our children to our own lustful passions. Born or unborn. Born or unborn. And uh, this thing with Nebuchadnezzar, absolutely. I, I just, I listened to that message this morning, just fascinated. Would you have chosen what Daniel chose? Because when he chose not to eat the king's meat, he chose a death sentence is what he chose. That's what he chose. And we're not, we're not in that miraculous area in our lives because we don't make choices like that. Now, he didn't do it foolishly and stupidly and off the cuff. None of that stuff. But wow. Thank you for that good message. That was a blessing. That was a blessing. And we need to learn. We need to learn how to live. Well, you have the outline before you, saved, are you saved? And, and this, this word is an amazing, amazing, amazing word. It, it implies that all of us are headed for imminent, total, and eternal destruction. And that only God can supernaturally, only God can supernaturally rescue us from that predicament. And the only way that God can do it is by coming himself in the person of his son to eat up the penalty and the punishment for our sins and to take us to death, judgment, to burial, and then to resurrection in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. Well, let's go quickly as as far as we can here today. Page number one, we have the dictionary definitions, and the the closest word uh, to save or be saved is to be rescued, rescued. And we have the biblical definitions of them as to what they're saved physically, spiritually, and in the messianic sense. We go to page two, and we saw the use of the work of the word in the Greek, in the Greek world, in the Greek language. I, I, I like the emphasis under capital letter B in the Greek world. It was an acutely dynamic act in which gods or men snatch others by force from serious peril. Absolutely amazing. Then ideas inherent in the word, a great threatening danger that we face, a total lack of personal power or strength to, to, to overcome it an acknowledgement of the power and the dominion of one that comes to our rescue, and in our case, the only one, that, only one who can rescue us is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Page 3, 
two opposites of being saved. One is destruction. John 3.16, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is, be destroyed. We are being saved. We were perishing. We were suffering loss of everything. Again, that was a good emphasis in the message this morning. Uh, how much are you going to lose if, if you're not saved by the grace of God? When you come to die, how much are you going to leave behind? Everything. Be nothing, including yourself. You lose yourself and you lose everything. You lose your whole life from beginning to end. And it's amazing that, as we've said in the last message, God, when he saves us, enables us, everything we do for the glory of God goes with us. We lose nothing. We lose absolutely nothing. Are you hearing me? In the business world, in the, in the family world, in every dynamic of your life, everything that you do for the glory of God, I don't care if it's fixing the neighbor's car mechanically, everything that's done for the glory of God, you take with you. That is amazing. You don't need to leave anything behind. fellow was, was watching the rich man go by in the, in the hearse and said, how, how much did he leave? And the guy said he left all of it. Now that's tragic. Because you can take everything with you. There is no secular and there is no sacred now. Get this. You can take everything with you. Everything you do for the glory of God, you can take with you in, into eternity. That's what eternal life is all about. It's not only living forever. It's, it's, it's having a dynamic of life, a quality of life that is eternal. And this is amazing. This is amazing. So, we, we have the word Apollomy, from which we get Apollyon, Satan's title or name. He is the great destroyer. And we have judgment, crino, judgment. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be rescued, saved from him. And then we went to the uh, next point, uh, Roman numeral four, from what are we saved? It's the penalty of our sins, totally from the penalty of our sins. Uh, Paul makes the point in this, listen, listen, if, if there's anything we need to do to, to atone for our sins personally, then what Jesus did was meaningless. Paul was saying, if you can atone for your own sins, what Jesus, Jesus' death was meaningless. And it really was. The penalty of our sins, we're saved, we're rescued from that. We're rescued from the power of sins, page number four. We're, we're saved from the wrath of God. How many of you, if you built a new house and you, and you spent, let's say, in, in San Francisco Bay Area, you, to, spend, to build a nice house, you're going to spend close to a million dollars to build it. So you put your life savings in that thing and, and you, you build yourself a new house and somebody comes along and firebombs it at night and burns it up. You're going to be really happy about that. None of us enjoy seeing anything we've done, any work that we've done, any product that we produce. Nobody enjoys seeing that destroyed. And God does not enjoy seeing his creation destroyed by wickedness. There's going to be wrath poured out against that which destroys everything that God holds dear. So, when we are saved, we are saved from the wrath of God. Not only from sin and the power of sin, but we're saved from the just wrath of God. And as we mentioned just a moment ago, we're saved, D, from the tragic loss of our temporal life with all of its opportunities and resources. Everything again. Now, are you getting this? It doesn't... We, we look at our daily lives as, as totally insignificant. They are not insignificant. What God has given us to do, everything God has given us to do legitimately in this life is meaningful. Everything. Everything. Not some things. Everything. Everything. 
And all of this can be taken with us into the next world, into eternity. Now, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Amazing, Luke 19, and I should have put the previous verse in here. Uh, Those who are sick don't need a doctor. People that are well don't need, I'm sorry, those who are well don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Salvation is not for good people. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call what? Sinners to repentance. So many people look down on sinners. Well, and so many of us are surprised by how sinners behave. May I suggest to you, what does a sinner do except sin? What's our expectation level? And apart from the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ in your life, what is there for you to do except sin? How do you have a capacity to do otherwise? You need to be rescued from that lostness. And so, he says, the the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And do you know, did you know, take a look at, are you looking at your notes? What have I got in brackets there? What are lost people? Huh? They're the losers. And how many Christians turn up their nose at losers? And what would you be except the world's worst loser if the grace of God hadn't touched your life? We're all losers unless we've been rescued by the grace of God. All right? We're all losers. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save losers. That which was lost. And then, again, those who are well, healthy, don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call bad people, not good people. Bad people. And what we do is we convince ourselves because we're not as bad as somebody else that we're good. I hope you don't measure goodness by not being as bad as somebody else. Supposing somebody said his wife was a religious cook. She served him sacrifice and burnt offering. And this is good because it's only half burnt. It's not as burnt as some of the other burnt food. If that's how you measure goodness, is just not as bad as other people, I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to come up very short with being good as far as acceptable to God is concerned. Didn't call to come good people, to save good people. I came to call sinners, bad people, the bad, kakos, the bad sinners, to repentance. And then in Timothy, Paul says it's a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. If you're not a sinner, you don't qualify. That's where you go. Oh, you Baptists, you're always talking about sinners. Yeah, that's because everybody qualifies. Heaven is going to be full of saved sinners. It's not going to be full of good people. It's going to be full of saved sinners. So if you're not a sinner, you do not qualify. If you're good enough to get to heaven on your own, forget it. Jesus said, I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, I am the worst of all of them. Wow. Here we have a man who meticulously and religiously kept all of his religious beliefs. And he says he's the worst of all sinners. I want to remind you again that God does not measure goodness and righteousness like you and I do. You cannot... And by the way, I hope the pipes coming into your house are clean. Because you cannot get clean water out of a dirty pipe. And you cannot get a life that is acceptable to God out of a sinful heart. Your heart corrupts all of your goodness as well as all of your wickedness. Whoa. Did you get that? Your heart corrupts all of your goodness as well as all of your righteousness. Wow. Or all of your, all of your wickedness. So, who can be saved? Lost people can be saved and sinners can be saved. And that is absolutely good news. That God should save or should love a sinner such as I. Huh. 
How wonderful is love like this? I've got a question at the bottom of the page because a lot of people, a lot of Christians have, have been convinced by satanic lies that they've committed an unpardonable sin in their lives. This is very interesting. If you've committed the unpardonable sin, obviously you will not be saved. But there is a reason for that. Now, are you awake at this point in time? All right. Jesus defined the unpardonable sin. What happened was he was committing miracles and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other people, the religious leaders of his time said, now look, Jesus is casting out demons. You're still awake. Now, how did Jesus cast out demons? Remember the day of his baptism? Who came? The Holy Spirit of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In whose power did Jesus perform all of these miracles? In the power of whom? Huh? Power of the Holy Spirit. What kind of a spirit? Holy Spirit. So... Jesus performed these great miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. When he healed and when he raised the dead. When he cast out demons. He did all of these marvelous miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the religious leader said, you are doing this. Now are you awake or are you going to miss this? You are doing this in the power of the devil, Beelzebub. The chief, the leader of the demons who is Satan himself. You are doing this with Satan's power. Now why was that an unpardonable sin? How did that become an unpardonable sin? It was an unpardonable sin because it was the ultimate. Notice the word ultimate. It was the ultimate insult to the Holy Spirit of God. It was calling the Holy Spirit of God the devil. It was calling the Holy Spirit of God the devil. The ultimate insult. Now I want to ask you a question. Without the work of the Holy Spirit as a sinner, will you ever get convicted of sin and will you ever come to Christ without the help and aid and work of the Holy Spirit in your lives? Will that ever happen? Ever happen? Never. Never. And that's why it's the unpardonable sin. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, you will never come to Christ. And these people had so insulted the Holy Spirit of God that his work in their life for redemption was gone. It's the unpardonable sin. It's interesting to me, are you still awake? That people, if if you had committed the unpardonable sin, would you be concerned about having committed the unpardonable sin? Without the Holy Spirit's conviction, would you ever be concerned about that? No. And the fact that somebody's worried about it means they haven't committed it. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Okay. So anyone can be saved. But I would suggest you don't call the Holy Spirit the devil. And they were doing this publicly in denouncing the works of Christ as the works of the devil. It was the ultimate insult against the Holy Spirit of God. I hope that helps you. Because if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. And I hope that helps you. I hope that helps you. Okay? Is there an unpardonable sin? Yes. And it's the ultimate insult of the Holy Spirit calling him the devil and, and, and attacking him and accusing him of being wicked, being the leader of the kingdom of evil. So on page five, now we have our Calvinist friends. Woo! Christ only died for the elect. And if you're not elect, you can't be saved. And if you're not predestined... Uh, You don't need to tell people the gospel because if they're predestined, they'll get saved. Now, you know my Hebrew word for that, don't you? Bach, lo, ni, baloney. All right, that's the Hebrew word for that. Biblically, that's a lot of baloney. Now, who who can notice God's desire to save the elect? No, it's God's desire to save everyone. 
First Timothy 2, 5. Who desires how many men to be saved? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word desire means to, that, that, that he has a personal, emotional desire that this will take place. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, not wishing. Now, this is a different Greek word for desire. It means to think something through and make a decision that you want something to happen. This means God does not counsel. He does not desire in his heart and mind, thinking this thing through, there's nothing in the thought processes of God that wants anybody to perish. It's not only his emotional desire, that's First Timothy 2, that's the emotional desire, but it, it is the mental counseling of the mind, uh, not will, wishing for any to perish, and that's that word apollome, that's that word for destruction. If you believe into him, you will not perish, you will not endure destruction. But for how many to come to repentance? All, A-L-L. Now, what does all mean? How many is all? Now, is this a clear statement? This is not something that's hidden in, in flowery language. This is not something symbolic. or uh, this, this is just plain, direct speech, both in Greek and in English. All to come to repentance. So it doesn't matter, and I appreciated that from the message this morning. It doesn't matter if they're pitched in a tent in a filthy dive down in an alleyway down here in San Francisco or if they are in the head of the corporate offices downtown. They're, on, they're all on God's list to get saved, if they will. Every one of them, top to bottom. Every one of them. And so he desires all men to be saved, not wishing, not desiring, not counseling for any to perish, but for all to come. And notice there now, that is, that is a strong adversative there. That word but, but means but in, in contradistinction to this. Totally different than this. God is not like this. He's totally different than this. But for all to come to repentance. So we will have quite an argument with our Calvinist friends on this one. How are men saved? That's the next point. Here we have the Philippian jailer, the man who was in jail when the earthquake happened. What must I do to be saved? Believe in or believe upon the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household how does this happen? Well, the gospel is proclaimed. Somehow the gospel, he, he already knew he needed to be saved when he asked this question. What must I do to be saved? He knew he had a need. So how did he know about this? Well, how do, how do people know about their need of Christ? The word is proclaimed. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, in Corinthians, Paul says, I make known unto you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. There is a proclamation, there is an explanation with that, which you have received in which you stand, by which also you are what? Saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the word is proclaimed, and the word is implanted, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God implants the word of God in our hearts putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Isn't it interesting how he uses this word implanted? Are you still awake? Are you still awake? Examine time. Jesus gave a parable about the word of God being implanted in a sense. Ah, and somebody came along and before it ever could take root. You remember that one? Some fell by the, some seed fell by the wayside. What was that seed? It was the word of God. It never got planted. Boy, be careful what you do with the message of the gospel. It never got planted. 
The Word implanted, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God if you will receive it and welcome it in your heart. He will plant it in there. And if you welcome that Word, it, it will ultimately result in your salvation and your being saved. So there's the Word implanted. You have the word sown, and I just referred to that. Those beside the road, those who have heard, the devil comes, takes away the word from their heart. So they will not what? Believe and what? And be saved. Believe and be saved. Follow your scriptures as I go along here. It's important that you fix your eyes on these. And then the truth that must be welcomed and received. Second Thessalonians Here is the work of the Antichrist with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive what? The love of the truth so as to be what? Saved. What you do with the truth of God's word, your receptiveness to that truth is the determining point as to whether you will be saved or not. It's not how good you are. It doesn't depend on on how ignorant you are. It doesn't depend on, uh, on any other factors, but it's your response to the Word of God. All right? Now, how are we saved? B, capital letter B, through faith, that is trust. When you say trust, uh, when you say the word faith, it has to do with confidence or trust. By confidence or trust alone, in Christ alone. Are they awake enough? Can, can I get some heavy stuff in here before we stop? Can I, can I do that? Can I, can I get away with that? All right, you're, you're still mentally somehow alert? Okay, okay. You folks that serve lunch and mingle, I'm the preacher in the afternoon service. I want you to put double caffeine in the coffee. (laughs) That that would help me. I have a question here. We're going to look at at a couple of verses in Isaiah 50, from Isaiah 53, okay? And now notice how I said you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That, does, that means the sacraments, the church, that means, that means all religious works, it means prayer, it means everything, it means good works of any kind, religious or otherwise. It means that there's nothing else apart from Jesus Christ and confidence in him by which I can be saved. Now that's a strong, powerful statement because it excludes almost all religion, including Baptist. It draws the line. It excludes all of that. Now take a look at that. Faith alone and Christ alone. What's left except receiving, trusting the Lord Jesus and Him alone and nothing else? Okay? Now that, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. This is, where, this is where people accuse, you think you're the only one. No, we don't. We think Christ is the only Savior. There's a total difference between you think you're the only one and you're the only right one and everybody else. No, no, I don't think I'm the only one that's right and everybody else is wrong. I think there is only one thing God did in world history to save men. He sent his son to be the Savior of the world, not the Baptists. The world. And the world is the world of all the religions. It's the world that encompasses everyone and everything. Okay? So, so I'm going to ask this question. When we read Isaiah, I want you to notice, I want you to ask this question, who else or what else could have met the following requirements to save, to rescue man from the penalty and the power and the judgments of his sin. All right? Now notice, let's, let's begin to verse 4 at the bottom of the page. Surely our griefs he himself bore. All right? Who else ever did this on behalf of the whole world? It takes an infinite person to make an infinite sacrifice. Am I right? I could not do this. You could not do this. No religious leader could do this. 
He himself bore our griefs, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Who else qualifies in doing this for the sins of the world? What else has done this? Can you put food offerings in front of an idol on, on your shelf in your house? Can that do this? Who and what can effectively do what's got to be done? And if this isn't done, how can men be saved? He will simply be confirmed in the misery and the power of his sins to destroy him. Verse 5, now we're getting more particular. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Who else did this? The sacraments we serve in this church, they haven't done that. We believe in Lord's Supper and Communion. We believe in baptism. These things did not do this. They can't do this for us. How can they do this for us? He was crushed for our iniquities. No one else has done this for us. Nothing else has done this for us in all of history. One man can die for one man's sin. But what about the rest of us? I can't, if I died for your sins, that would be for your sins, but what about all the rest of the people? I couldn't die for all those sins. We've got to get real about this thing. If God does not supernaturally give us an infinite eternal sacrifice, we will not make it. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him by his scourging. We are what? Healed. Who else can say by my scourging you're going you're to be saved and rescued from the awfulness of the destruction that sin is bringing in your lives? Who else can say this and do this? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The iniquity of us all to fall on him. Who or what else is there? What option do we have other than faith alone in Christ alone? So we go to page 6. Jesus in the Bible is presented as the only source of salvation. Are you reading along in your notes? Please do. Matthew 1, she will bear a son. That's Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. He will what? Save whom? His people from what? Their sin. Now you'll find that statement about no one else in the whole Bible. The priest didn't save people from their sins. They offered sacrifice. And there was that sacrifice prefiguring Jesus Christ that, that, that rescued the Old Testament saints. John 14. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Is that true? Did Jesus tell the truth? Now, let's get a little technical with the grammar. I don't know how far I'll get with this today. Well, we'll go as far as I can. But in the Greek language, if you have the article, the, the way, the truth, the life, in front of a noun, it identifies it specifically. If it doesn't have the article, it qualifies us. So when it says, I am way, that would mean that that is a way that you get to God. He's just a way to get there. But this has the article and it identifies. I'm specifically the way to God. I'm specifically, I'm not just truth. Now he was truth. He, he was in quality. Truth. Jesus Christ was truth from God. But he was the truth. Specifically, we're specifying that he is a particular 
truth. He is the truth. And he is not only life. We know he is life. He is eternal life, John tells us. But he is the eternal life. Specifically, uniquely, he is these three things. The way, the truth, the life. And then the next gets more even specific than this. Is coming to the Father. No one except through me. This is how you get to the Father. Jesus said you get to the Father through the Son. Why do we say a man is saved by faith alone in Christ alone? Because that's exactly what Jesus said. Now, am I reading this correctly? And this is the Word of God. It's the inspired Word of God. So, number two, the divinely required source of salvation, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. Wow. There is salvation in no one else. Because there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must that is, is a moral necessity to be saved through this name. That there is, that there's only one. There is not two. There is no one else. Now you say, you say, you're, it's not that we're right and everybody else is wrong. That has nothing to do with it. If let me give this illustration. Supposing, supposing there was a cure for COVID. An absolute certain cure. Whoever took this pill never got it. And if they got it, it cured them forever. And it was certain it worked 100% of the time. If I had that, I'd have something unique because there's nothing else will qualify for that. Now the problem with salvation is nothing else qualifies. No one else has the power to declare your sins forgiven. Only God can do that. And Jesus Christ is God in flesh. I can't declare your sins forgiven. I do not have that power. Only God has that power. So it's by faith alone, in Christ alone. The divinely required source of salvation. Acts 10.43. Look at this. Look at this text. Of him, the Lord Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes into him, same as John's gospel, everyone who believes into him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, is that true or is it false? Is it a true claim? Is it a false claim? It's very exclusive. Believing into him, remember To believe into Jesus Christ means you take your faith and trust and confidence out of everything else. And you direct and point it exclusively into Jesus Christ. That's what it means to believe into him. I'm just simply quoting scripture after scripture after scripture. The genuine source of salvation, point number three, is James 2. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? A faith that produces no works is not a saving faith. Jesus Christ is the genuine source of saving faith. Point number four, Ephesians 2.8, by grace, by, by undeserved divine favor, you have been what? What's the word? Help me. You've been saved. You've been rescued. Through what? All right. And that, what's the next word? Not of yourselves. It is what? It's the gift of God. It's gifted by God. And then he gets very, very specific. Not as a result of works. The Greek language says not coming out of works. There's nothing inside of works that can, that can bring me here and that can save me. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And again, Paul repeats in Titus 3, he saved us. Here's that word rescue. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done how? What kind of deeds? They're done in what? Righteousness. They're good deeds. They're religious deeds. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his what? What's mercy? It's compassion. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by, it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And Galatians 2 tell us that the works of the law, keeping the commandments, keeping the works of the law, have no part in it. Galatians 2. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Did I read that right? Knowing. That word knowing means grasping with your mind. Think this thing through. How can breaking the law prove that you're righteous? Because you can't keep it. The only thing you do is break it. How can breaking the law justify you before God? It can't. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Did I read that correctly? Oh my, oh my, oh my. Wow. Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means everyone. The Greek, the first word in the Greek text is everyone, whoever he may be, who is calling upon the name of the Lord will be rescued. Go to page 7. Go to page 7. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, to confess is a statement of agreement. And actually, this is a profound and powerful statement. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus is the Greek text, literally. And he's living in a day when, when the Roman government required that you would own Caesar as your Lord. You wouldn't call him Caesar. You had to call him Lord Caesar because he was your Lord. You were acknowledging his lordship over your life. Lord Caesar. You didn't say Caesar. And that's why Christians went to jail and they got burned at the stake. Because they would not say Lord Caesar. And Paul said, if you will make your statement of agreement, Lord Jesus. You see, if you see the two tied together, it's a different context. Not that he's just the Lord. He is Lord over me. Personally, Lord, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your what? Heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be what? Now, can I believe God's word? Can you believe God's word? Is it true? Is it true? Can you believe it? You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. For... With the heart, man is believing, which results in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now, very quickly. You're all asleep now? All in a comatose state? Will you fasten your seatbelts? Can I clean this up before you go home? Can I do that? Have your permission? Okay. How are we not saved? Well, by believing in Jesus in the casual, generic sense of the word. Oh, I believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. The gospel has to be a part of this. You, you may know the Bible inside and out. You can memorize the whole New Testament. That does not save you. Saying prayers or having specific prayers. I know, I'm, I know I'm a Christian because God hears and answers my prayer. No, God makes the sun shine on the wicked and on the good alike. He sends the rain on the wicked and the righteous both. Church membership, baptism, communion, confirmation, having a vision of one kind or another. I was going to put this in here, but I, I, I didn't. I should have done it. 
Paul says that Satan is disguised as what? An angel of what? Light. And he says the workers of iniquity are disguised as angels of light. And if you have a 30-foot angel that appears at the foot of your bed tonight, how do you know who he is? Maybe Satan himself. Apparitions and dreams and spiritual experiences prove nothing. Because there are two spiritual sources from which these things come. Put the spirits to the test whether they're from God. Find out who it is that's at the foot of your bed. You better ask some very piercing questions. And very penetrating questions. I've never had anyone show up at the foot of my bed yet. But if he does, he's in for an interrogation. (laughs) And if I find these out from God, then, then then we'll have a good visit. But the most likelihood is that he's not. But people have these visions... The charismatic movement was filled with these visions and they they said, this proves that I had this vision. I had this apparition in my bedroom at night and yeah, 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 but no marvel. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Be careful. A crisis experience in your life. Oh, I had this crisis experience and no, 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 no. Being born into or growing up in a Christian home, boy, I had that experience. I almost missed receiving Christ as my Savior. Living the Christian life proves nothing. Performing good deeds, religious experience, our Mormon friends. I know, I know it's real. I have this warm burning in the bosom. Well, I want to tell you that the demon demons can give you a burning in the bosom too. You better know who's burning your bosom. And you better check it out with the word of God. Worshiping God. Loving Jesus. As a boy, I loved Jesus. But do you know I had never received him as my Savior personally? That's where I missed it. I loved God. I prayed. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Eternal life is in him. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son of God does not have the life. That is so important. Oh, how long are we saved? Quickly. Jesus, on the the other hand, because he continues how long? (coughs) Forever holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able. The word able means, is that word from which we get dynamite. He has the power. He has the capacity and power also to save us forever, for all time, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a Savior. What a Savior. To sum it all up, a person is saved, is rescued from all the penalty of all his sins for all time. I get Pentecostal now. He is forever rescued from the condemnation of God's justice. He's forever saved from the wrath and judgment of God. He is forever saved from the finality and ravages of physical death. We shall rise. Hallelujah, we shall rise. We have been eternally rescued from eternal death, from eternity in hell. We have been saved and rescued from the tragic meaningless loss of our present lives. We've been rescued from the power of sin, from the dominion of sin in our daily lives. And we have been rescued potentially and ultimately from the presence of sin. Are you saved? That's the question. And if you are not saved... Right now, here and now, in the quietness of this moment, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, in the quietness of this moment, you can, in your own heart, and God hears a silent prayer, you can cry out to God and say, Look, thank you, Lord Jesus, you've come. You're the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to receive you today 
In this time, right here and right now, I welcome you, I receive you, I cry out to you, come into me, live in me as my Savior and Lord. I own you as Lord Jesus today. Save me from my sin. I receive in you the gift of eternal life. Call on him while you're sitting here today. Cry out to him. He will not fail to keep his word. Everyone, whoever he may be, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As many as receive the Lord Jesus, to these God gives divine authority to become his children, even to those who believe on his name. And whosoever believes into him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Gather up all your hope and trust and confidence. Put it in Jesus Christ. Call on his name. Welcome him as your Savior. Ask him to save you today and come into your life forever to be your Savior now and forever. Life will never, never be the same. Father in heaven, what a message. The simplicity of eternal hope. Faith alone in Christ alone. God, give us an understanding so that we might share this message with everyone in our world. Everyone in this city needs to hear this message. Religious, pagan, agnostic, wealthy, poor, every ethnic group. Everyone in this city needs this message. May this be the burden of our hearts as we leave this place today. And may we be filled in our lives with praise and rejoicing because of this great salvation, this great salvation that you provided for us in the person of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. One more time, let's repeat the hymn we sang last Sunday. Only trust him. Only trust him. And if you do, he will what? He will save you. He will save you now.